You're listening to the Regeneration Rising podcast, a podcast from the Kavira Coalition about the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of agrarians in the United States. Each episode will explore what it means to work in regenerative agriculture, how people came to choose this as their livelihood, and why it's important to them and the future. We hope to build a foundation for a strong community of future agrarians and land stewards with a regenerative approach to community, relationships, and the land. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Regeneration Rising. I'm Taylor Mulia, and right now it is a very exciting time of the year because our applications are open and they close fairly soon after this podcast comes out on December 15th. So if you are interested in becoming an apprentice in the agrarian program and working and learning on a regenerative ranch in Colorado or Montana, and we have one site in Idaho this year, uh, please find more information on our website at kiveracoalition.org slash newagrarian. Today, my guest is Lewis Martin. He is the owner of Round River Resource Management near Rush, Colorado. And Lewis and I have known each other for quite a while. He's been in our program long before I started working here. And from the beginning, I really admired how Lewis has really weaved in to his business model, his commitment to serving young people and providing an entry point. And it's just really rare. You don't see that kind of commitment in all livestock producers. And it's just, we're, we're really lucky to have them in our program. So I hope you enjoy our interview. It'll be a lot of talking about Lewis's goals for his ranch, uh, what he's looking for in an apprentice. And actually, he has quite a few opportunities for folks that are looking to start their own business with a bit of guidance and support underneath his business model. So I was fascinated to learn all about Lewis's operation, and I hope you are too. With that, I hope you enjoy. Lewis, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah, so um, we've known each other for a couple of years now. You're a mentor in our program. But for the audience, can you tell us where are you calling in from today? Sure. Well, I'm here on the Brett Gray Ranch, uh, about 60 miles east of Colorado Springs near Rush, Colorado. And Lewis, where did you grow up? And I always like to kind of get an idea of what, what were you like as a kid? Sure. Yeah, I'm originally uh, from uh, Texas, grew up in Texas near Fort Worth, small community outside of Fort Worth. Agriculture skipped a generation in my family. My mother's parents farmed and ranched. Uh, my father was an engineer, and my grandfather on his side was a businessman. But then uh, my cousins got involved with uh, 4-H and, and were showing sheep, and I became interested in that. And So I got started as a 10-year-old uh, showing uh, sheep, uh, there in Texas. And then a couple of years later, got interested in showing uh, beef cattle and raised and showed uh, registered beef cattle, uh, Paul Herford's. Did your family have land to raise cattle or was it kind of working with your cousins more so? No, uh, we lived in town up till I was in the sixth grade and we had about 20 acres out in the country that uh, we 
moved to out to Crowley, which is where I went to school. My mother was a school teacher there. And so we built a house there and barn and had our show cattle and sheep there. And what what got you interested, do you think? Like why, what, what was the draw? Well, I think I've always been uh, interested in the outdoors uh, growing up, even when I lived in Fort Worth. Uh, I had a pet squirrel, a pet raccoon. We were always catching snakes <laughs> and scorpions and turtles and anything else we could get our hands on and was always running around outdoors. Uh, but and then I like always enjoyed going to uh, Brownwood to visit my grandparents and cousins and hanging out with them and working on their with their livestock. And then walk us through how you ended up uh, starting Round River Resource Management. So you went to college. Yeah, walk us through that time and then sort of your young professional career. Well, I uh, decided I wanted to uh, major in agriculture and uh, I knew that I would probably never own my own ranch. I recognized how what a challenge it is for young people to get into ranching if you're not born into it or make some capital elsewhere. And so I wanted to be an effective ranch manager. So I went to school at Texas A&M University, majored in animal science. And it wasn't long, maybe a semester or so, I says, you know, it's going to take a lot more than just an animal science degree to be an effective manager. So Throughout my college career, I took a lot of courses outside of my degree plan, some business courses, accounting, finance, agricultural economics, range science, trying to get a broad base of uh, knowledge and experience. And so I actually wound up graduating with my undergraduate degree with about 160 hours of extracurricular courses that I took that weren't required on my degree plan. Uh, <laughs> you nerd. I never knew, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. And then uh, I guess I was a sophomore there in college, and I had the opportunity to go to work for the Beef Cattle Center. And uh, I worked there on the hay crew, baling hay, and uh, working with the livestock. And then uh, shortly after I graduated, the manager's job for the Beef Cattle Center came open, and uh, I applied for that and was hired as Beef Center Manager. And then I went on to start my master's degree, and I kind of followed the same pathway as I did my undergraduate. Uh, got an animal science degree, but uh, I was focused more on management and, again, took a lot of courses outside of uh, the animal science department and had a bunch of wonderful mentors uh both within the university system and outside. And so I wound up staying there, completing my master's and uh, managing the Beef Cattle Center for 18 years before I, I left the university. And it was during that time that I first became aware of Alan Savory and Stan Parsons and holistic management. And so I describe myself as becoming a student of holistic management back in the mid-80s when they first came to Texas and were starting to... Uh, teach uh, holistic management practices. And so from there, I, uh, like I said, I was at Texas A&M for 18 years. I left there in 98. I did a little bit of consulting work around there, and then I wound up taking a job on a large public lands ranch out in uh, Utah, uh, managing a ranch is about over 450,000 acres, uh, and you could drive a 200-mile round-trip circle on the ranch and never cross your path and never get off the ranch. Uh, oh, my gosh. That's wild. 
It was. It was pretty Western in some cases. <laughs> but uh, from there, I wound up uh, taking a job over in Colorado, here in Colorado uh, for Fraser Farms, and they had been involved with holistic management for almost as long as I had. And so I uh, ran their ranch for about five years when the opportunity to uh, lease the Brett Gray Ranch came open. It's a Colorado State Land Board property uh, that has a conservation easement on it by the Nature Conservancy. And they had a request for proposals, and uh, I submitted a proposal to manage the ranch in partnership with uh, the Fraser family, which, and that's when we formed Round River Resource Management. I uh, named it uh, Round River Resource Management because it was while I was in Utah, I read several books uh, by Aldo Leopold, Sand County Almanac, and Round River Essays. And I just thought that Round River epitomizes what I wanted to do and try to do on the Brett Gray Ranch, managing it for biodiversity and focusing on the four ecosystem processes. And so that's, I came up with Round River Resource Management. And we have three primary goals. One is to regenerate the lands that we manage. Two is to provide professional livestock management services to other producers that don't have the land base that they need to uh, grow or to run livestock. And then third, and one that's really important to me, is to uh, provide a pathway for young agriculturalists or young people to get into agriculture because the two biggest challenges are land access and capital access. And uh, so I started an apprenticeship, intern apprenticeship program back in 2008 and joined the Quivira NAP program in 2017. Uh, and we've had over 60 different interns over the years uh, come through and work for us. And many of them are still involved in agriculture. Wow. 60. That's crazy. And it sounds like too, you know, so one piece that I hadn't really put together until now actually is your relationship with the Fraser Farms before. Um, and then did you guys go in on the Brett Gray lease to begin with? And um, so that was probably a much more comfortable way of doing that. It was a partnership. Uh, when I first learned of the Brett Gray Ranch, I asked them if they were interested in doing something with that. And at that time, they weren't interested. I says, well, you know, I'm interested and would like to try to do something. So they asked me to present a proposal to them of how I thought things would look like. And uh, I did that. They got on board and we formed uh, uh, Round River Resource Management, LLC. Uh, they put up 75% of the capital, and I put up 25% of the capital uh, to start the business. And then since that time, I have purchased out a 100% interest of Fraser Farms as of uh, this past January. And so now I own 100% of Round River Resource Management. And uh, they run livestock here along with a number of other producers uh, that we custom graze livestock for. Right, right. As well as your own herd. Yeah. And that's so interesting. Was there like a timeline from the very beginning of when you were going to pay this off? Or was it more of a sort of because it sounds like there was a lot of generosity involved in sort of letting the process happen and letting the ups and downs of the cattle industry, you know, do its thing because there's no 
I don't think anybody's under the impression that you're going to have steady success when you go into ranching, something like that. Um, so was that worked into the agreement from the beginning, like a timeline, or was it kind of flexible? It was kind of flexible. Uh, we had t- always talked about me buying them out, and uh, they approached me about five years ago, and they sold me 50% of the business, leaving me with 75% and then 25%. And then just this past year, they approached me again about buying out the rest of their interest in the business. Yeah, it's very cool. Pretty innovative. And I've seen it, this happen on a smaller scale with vegetable farming, but never on a ranch scale. So that's really interesting to hear that the same principles might apply. Round River actually operates as a management company. Round River itself does not own any livestock. Or it's basically we lease the properties, work to regenerate the land. We offer custom grazing opportunities to producers, and we provide the labor and the grass mm-hmm. grazing fee. And so the thing that I've always wanted to do is to provide opportunities for young people, a pathway in there. So ideally, I've been trying to identify some young people that have a real passion for agriculture and ranching, give them an opportunity to stay on beyond a short-term internship and develop their own enterprises, whether it's a cattle enterprise. I think we have a lot of opportunities here, whether it could be sheep, could be uh, livestock, cow-calf or yearlings. We also possibility for uh, pasture-based meats. We have three irrigated pivots on the ranch uh, that can produce some high-quality forages. And if somebody was interested in developing a, a meat-based business, I think we can accommodate that as well. We would grow as people came on and began develop their skills and learn to be successful managers we would continue to try to lease additional properties and that's how we would grow so that uh, young people would have the opportunity to manage their businesses and branches. And then uh, we could grow and everybody could grow under the umbrella of Round River Resource Management. Yeah. And the reputation and the connections that you have worked hard to make. Yeah. That is very cool. I, you know, Lewis, I get a lot of people asking me as the apprenticeship applications are open right now. Like what does an apprentice do on a day-to-day basis? And so, yeah, I would love to hear, you know, I'm starting to understand these larger systems of the ranch on a daily basis. What does that look like for you and your apprentices? Well, I think it starts out just learning the the ranch. Probably one of the key things starting with that you would learn coming here would be uh, good stockmanship, and livestock handling, how to uh, move and work cattle quietly and effectively both out in the pasture and in the pens. Uh, it's really important to be able to handle livestock in a really quiet manner instead of playing cowboy and chasing cattle all over the place. And we, we focus on stockmanship and you'll, when you start, you may not be able to move five head of cattle successfully where you want to. By the time you're through, you'll be able to move over 2,000 head by yourself if you have to. Uh, so you get a lot of experience with uh, stockmanship and livestock handling. Uh, then you learn some of the other systems within the ranch, the fencing system, electric fencing, uh, water system, and then uh, the grazing management and grazing planning and that sort of thing. We usually try to send all of our interns to a holistic management training. And then if they continue on and stay on, then we also 
send them to the Ranching for Profit School as well, in addition to the other things that you learn here and gain skills at doing here. Very cool. And Eastern Colorado might be a new place for some folks. If you want to describe sort of why do you love the place that you live? Sure. Well, I mean, it is remote. We live approximately 50 to 60 miles in any direction from a major community or town, but it's quiet. And the Brett Gray Ranch in particular is a very unique piece of property on the Eastern Plains. We have a live water or stream that runs through the 11 miles through the ranch. We have numerous springs that feed that spring. And uh, so it's, it's very unique and it's kind of rolling, you know, as you're driving down the interstate, you think, Oh my God, this is the most boring piece of country in the world. But uh, when you actually get out there, uh, it's really incredible. Uh, the diversity of plants and animals and uh, just the hidden gems that uh, you find out there on the ranch that you don't see when you're cruising down the interstate. And whenever I come to visit Brett Gray, it, I close my eyes and I swear I can hear so many more birds than I ever hear in my neck of the woods, which has a little bit more trees and you think of like biodiversity. But out there on the plains, you guys have us beat by so far. I think We've had a number of birders out here, and I think they've identified over 298 different species of birds. Crazy. Either here on the ranch uh, or passing through on the ranch. I've even had a pair of couple trumpeter swans, uh, juvenile swans, uh, come here and stay for about six weeks in the spring one year. Wow. Yeah. I know. I just don't know why it it doesn't get much attention. But if you're if you're a bird person and if you're into nature and grasses and biodiversity, Eastern Colorado is just a complete treasure trove. And I feel like yeah, you don't actually get the experience until you get to be in a place and not just drive through it on the highway and look over it. Really spending time with it and seeing it on all the different seasons too. It really changes how you think about the prairie. It does. It really does. It's a really mm-hmm. unique place. Back to the ranch and sort of your management practices, I I was wanting to know uh, what is something you'd like to implement on the ranch that you haven't yet had the opportunity to do? Mm, Good question. And uh, I think we're still trying to develop the ranch. We've developed about two thirds of the ranch. Uh, We've went from about 40 paddocks overall on the entire ranch to about 120 now. Uh, We spent Last summer, developing more water access points and stuff on the southern end of the ranch. And now we'd like to go in there and break that up into some smaller, more manageable paddocks that uh, we can more effectively graze and manage the resources there. And just seeing the increase in diversity of species has just been fascinating. I mean, by the our management practices, we've been able to regenerate the stream and it used to be a pretty eroded uh, stream where cattle just stayed on it all the time but now it's uh, been revegetated where the water table's rising and we're just seeing an expansion of uh, grasses and uh, light animal species uh, throughout. Yeah, that's amazing. And what would you say is sort of the limiting factor in getting that land split up? Would you say it's like the the price of infrastructure, the price of fencing, or is it water access? Well, time, money, and uh, whenever we move Mm -hmm. on the ranch, I think it takes about five years to really evaluate, improve, and start seeing 
the results of your actions, uh, grazing planning and that sort of thing. You know, you spend the first year to two years just trying to learn the ranch itself, the environment, uh, what the weak links are, start identifying where you'd like to add or need to improve water sources. Then you start thinking about grazing and how you'd like to graze it and developing those sort of things. And so, and then after that, you know, first two or three years, then after you start implementing those practices, that's when you really get to see results of it. And uh, then it just continues to improve from there. What are your uh, long-term visions for the ranch at this point? I mean, it sounds like there's obviously these overarching goals of regenerating the land, training the next generation, you know, building a profitable business. Um, At this very point in 2023, what are your long-range goals for Round River? My long-range goals for Round River is to grow the business and provide a real opportunity for young people to step into a role in agriculture, develop and create their own business enterprises, have access to land and capital so that they can build and grow that business, then ultimately be able to identify one of those people that probably never dreamed that they would have a chance to operate a ranch or manage a business that eventually take over my job as CEO and general manager of the business. Uh, I'm 65. I turned 65 this week. And so uh, I really would like to be able to identify somebody that, you know, wants to grow into a ranch management business and uh, continue to regenerate lands, lease more lands that we can work on and provide access for other people. Mm -hmm. I think we're in a real transition period right now where we've discouraged our young people from going into agriculture for the last two or three generations. And now all the landowners are reaching 60s, 70s, and 80s. And there's going to be a real shift in land ownership, but we don't have the young people there with the knowledge or skills to uh, manage these properties effectively. I want to teach young people how to do that and give them the opportunity to do that. Right. And I think part of it is the opportunity. You said like they don't have the knowledge and skills quite yet. And I'm wondering too, as I'm hearing about your background and your journey and how much experience you have, what do you think a young person's, like, what kind of training do you think they need? Do you think it's just experience or do you think it's a mix of experience and education? Like, what what do you think would be a prime candidate? I think the prime candidate is one that has a growth mindset that wants to continue to learn and grow and uh, to have some critical thinking skills, to be able to evaluate a situation, evaluate your resources, and how do you resolve any issues you may have. I think our education system has done us a disservice in recent years in that we do not teach critical thinking skills. We teach to the test, we memorize and learn steps A, B, and C, but sometimes there's D, E, and F you got to consider. And I feel like we have not done a good job teaching critical thinking skills. And I think those are the two things that I think will make a successful agriculturalist or manager mm-hmm. because things are different out here every day. And so you've got to be, and that's what I love about it. It's never the same. Every day is different. And to be able to adapt to that 
situation and grow is, I think, really exciting for me. I noticed that the demeanor that I see in a lot of very successful young agrarians and, and mentors like you, it's this very sort of like calm demeanor. You know, I feel like I am the opposite of this personality. So I really admire folks that are like very able to like take in information and like digest it and make a decision. And it's not, the sky is not falling. Like ranching is going to be hard. It's just a matter of rolling with it and continuing to take steps forward, even when it's like, oh my God, what is, what is going on? What's the next problem of the day? So do you also feel like it's a demeanor thing too? I, I think, yeah, I think there probably is. You've got to be patient, you know, and just, again, evaluate where you're at and what you got and not overreact. I mean, you just got to uh, adjust to the situation and adapt. And so I think that probably demeanor is a good way of saying it. You know, there's the catchphrase adaptive management now that uh, we talk about, but it's being able to adapt to situations and not get overwhelmed. Your employee base is constantly changing because you're a mentor in our program. So you've got a couple apprentices coming and going and some people decide to stay a couple of years. And then, so it's always hard to to tell what your staff might look like next year. But you are still for the foreseeable future taking at least one apprentice that might change depending on if we find a manager for you and if we find folks that really want to settle down and and take on those leadership roles. But in terms of the the apprentice piece, the folks that are actually going to come through as Nugarian program apprentices, what are you looking for? What are and you said sort of these mindsets like critical thinking and stuff like that. I feel like a lot of folks don't have that developed quite yet. So let's talk about stuff that maybe they do have developed that they come in the program with. You know, I don't necessarily need someone with an ag background, but it is essential to have someone who has a desire to learn, self-motivated, willing to do the work and develop those critical thinking skills. And I think that's the most important thing. It's I find it's even sometimes easier to train young people with no or limited experience in agriculture than it is somebody that has come from an agricultural background and has already established some paradigms that we don't always adhere to. I'm constantly looking and trying to find better ways of doing things. And, you know, I, I just want some young people that try to develop those skills as well. And, you know, I'd love for someone to come to me and say, hey, I see something out here I think we can, I can make it better or improve this, or what do you think about doing something this way? I, I want people to be thinking all the time, mm -hmm. and we can teach the skills that you need to be successful in agricultural ranching and as a manager, but it's very difficult to create that open mind and thinking skills. It's uh, something that I think comes from within. What is your mentorship style? You've had over 60 apprentices, which is crazy. And, you know, you get a lot of personalities to work with. So I'm sure that changes quite a bit. But what is what is your style of teaching? How do you like to manage your apprentices? Well, I'd like to think that I have quite a bit of patience. <laughs> Try to demonstrate or teach and explain to people what the expectations are or how to do something and uh, be sure that they can get that done. And then some people might think I'm a hands-off manager. You know, I don't want to look over your shoulder all the time. And that's where I think 
developing critical thinking skills. I want you to be independent and not dependent upon someone else to do a job. I was speaking with someone here just this past week, and he works with the tribes in uh, New Mexico and uh, Colorado and Montana, but he says a lot, he finds a lot of people have difficulty making decisions that they're, I think they're afraid to make decisions. And I think if you, I'm okay with you making a decision, even if it's wrong, maybe you didn't have all the information needed. That's okay. And I want people to be able to think and make some decisions, but I also want to be there to support them if they don't understand. And I always like for them to ask questions. There's, there's no dumb questions. I think at this point, too, there's really no situation you haven't seen um, messed up either. So <laughs> you know how to get a lot of trucks unstuck and a lot of cattle back in and a lot of fence back hot again. <laughs> yeah. Cattle resorted. <laughs> All kinds of things. There's ways to resolve most of them. For sure. And um, just so to clarify for folks, like I said, we're, we're always kind of like juggling different apprentices, like who's, st who's staying, who's going to go. And I'm, I'm wondering, too, if it might be worth mentioning, like the, the kind of apprentice that you're looking for. Are you looking for people who are a little more willing to stick around and experience something over a little longer term? Uh, yes, I, I think so. At this point, you know, like I said, I've had over 60 interns over the last 15 years and uh, they come and go, many of them for different reasons. I've had several of them that have stayed on for two to four years. And some of those are some successful managers elsewhere. They either want to be, go back home, be close to family or things like that. Yeah, ideally. And I'd like to have someone that can stay on, is willing to stay on a little longer, that wants to start a business. And uh, we can help them do that. I have had one young man that he just left here recently, but he was with me for four years and he's built up his own herd of cows on the ranch, over 120 cows and uh, doing quite well with those cattle. So there's a lot of opportunities, but getting a foothold into ranching and agriculture is a real challenge for young people because they don't have the connections. They don't have land access, capital access. We can help with those things. We were kind of talking about this at the conference. There's this sort of different stages of life that young people are also juggling alongside trying to figure out what they're doing in their career. And so I think it can be hard for people to really see staying at one job for multiple years as being something that is like, you know, it's not as exciting. It's not as like, oh, we're moving to a new state. We're, go we're doing something new and different. But I think there's so much value in staying with the same place and seeing so many different circumstances and wrenches thrown into the situation and different styles and different modes of grazing and different situations. So anyway, I, I just, we, I think we all struggle with that is like finding young people who want to commit to a place. And, you know, I, there's a million reasons why they don't, but sort of what, what was your process of committing to this operation? Like, did you feel ever a sense of like, oh, I could be going off doing something else or I could be going back to Texas or, you know, what was your experience with like coming to terms with the commitment? When I was at A&M and I uh, was hired as the beef center manager, I stayed there for 18 years because number one, I enjoyed the challenges. We 
had three purebred herds of cattle. We had commercial herd of cattle. And I was teaching and working with student workers there. And I like to just see growth. And, uh, you know, I think we have the, we can provide opportunities for growth here. Uh, and then after I left the university, I kind of struggled a little bit where to go or what to do and finding the right place. And then I wound up over here in Colorado working for the Fraser family. And I was there for five years uh, when the opportunity to uh, start this operation came about and was successful in getting started doing that. And now we've been here for 16 years now, I think. And uh, it's always been an exciting new opportunity every day and trying to move forward. So for me personally, it has not been difficult to find commitment. It's, uh, I think, you know, every time you change jobs or I won't say every time you kind of have to start over at the bottom again and prove yourself. And so I think as you start learning skills and can develop skills, there's a lot of opportunities for growth. And I think I want to support that and help people develop those skills. I have to put your dues in to start. And if you're constantly shifting around, you have to put your dues in a lot of different places before you really find your footing and can move forward. And I, I think it's important too. in our last episode of the podcast, we had two apprentices on from Montana this year, and they were talking about contentment and just trying to find contentment in what you do. And I think especially with social media now, it's always like, oh, what else could I be doing? Or I could be experiencing something else. And um, there's so many opportunities out there. And I think, I don't know, I think there is this deep challenge of finding contentment where you are, even though it's not a new and exciting opportunity. It's the same job. But I think it's not appreciated enough how to cultivate that and stick with something and see the rewards of, of staying in one place. I think for me, that's been to see that growth and, you know, both in myself and others, but to see what you've achieved and see the end results of it. You know, if you're bouncing around and you're only here for one year, you can't see the whole cycle or see the incremental steps that you're making. And I think seeing that growth has always been exciting for me. You know, when I was at A&M, I think I used to joke that we went to, from two 180-day breeding seasons, uh, fall, uh, January to June season, and a July to December season, to uh, 45-day breeding seasons in our herd, and see the results of that and the impact of that. You know, increasing your reproduction and uh, reducing cost, and and just seeing the improvement in the livestock overall is exciting and. And here, seeing the change in the land has just been amazing. This year, we've had an abundance of rainfall, and we have seen the tall grass species moving in here on the short grass prairie, and it's just amazing the diversity of plants and species of, uh, that we see here. And that's been exciting, seeing that growth and change over the years from a degraded, predominantly bluegrass environment to a uh, just a whole diversity of plant species. That's that's an exciting thing for me. Yeah, especially after the last year that we had. I don't think anybody expected to see that burst of life after that. So that is a that is a true testament to your management because we kind of all thought we would take a hit for a while after last year. So 
Louis, if you were to give a piece of advice to a beginning agrarian, what would it be? Look for and identify a good mentor that you can stay with and learn from and try to uh, grow and, and then know that you're not going to learn everything you need to know in an eight-month internship, that it's going to take you a minimum of five years to develop the skills, the knowledge, and the experience to feel confident enough to be successful. I think that's that's key is truly developing those skills, you know, whether it's building fence or financial management, accounting. I mean, there's just so many different things to learn and there's no way that you can learn everything you need to know in an eight-month internship. So stick with things for a little longer and grow and develop and uh, I think good things will come. It took me over 20 years to, or almost 40 years to get to where I'm at here and uh, I'd like for young people to be able to achieve that faster and have those opportunities sooner. Mm -hmm. You do have to take the time to develop those skills and figure out too we talked a lot about in this podcast like what support systems do you need in place in order for you to really be patient with something like that like you know maybe it's like figuring out systems where you have good communication with your family or making sure you have a partner and you're ready for settling down and kind of committing to that lifestyle that those kinds of things i think get wrapped up in that like yes you do need patience but also do yourself a favor and figure out what will help you stay at a place for a long time. Sure. Uh, another piece of advice that I think is important is don't be afraid to leave home. I never thought I'd leave Texas. You know, I thought it was a great place to be and never thought I'd leave, but it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me was leaving and it opened up a whole new opportunities that have just been amazing. And I'm not sure now that I could ever go back to Texas because of the opportunities did you ever have a period where you were like, I'm going back to Texas? I miss I miss that. No, not after I left. Of course, my parents were transferred out of Texas, so I only had one brother left in Texas along with some distant family. But I don't have any strong ties to Texas anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But it's truly been good. And I like the climate here in Colorado better than uh, Texas. People ask me, well, do you ever get cold and freezing up there? I said, I've spent more cold, wet, miserable days in Texas than I ever have up here. Uh, the wind blows <laughs> a little sometimes, but for the most part, it is really nice weather, sun shining, and a uh, great place to be. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Lewis, I'll just kind of make the plug. If folks are interested in uh, pursuing an apprenticeship, they can find our information at kiveracoalition.org slash Nograrian. Lewis has a whole site description in there under Round River Resource Management. And if you're ever interested, and maybe you're farther along in your career and interested in just getting in touch with Lewis, uh, feel free to reach out to, I won't put your... (laughs) I won't put your email out to the airwaves, but if you're ever interested, get a hold of me. My email is taylor at kiveracoalition.org and we can connect you with Lewis. So is there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up today? No, I, I think that's all great. I'd say that, you know, if you really are interested in regenerative ranching and being involved with that, I think we can find a place for you and help you develop and create your own business here under the umbrella and it will help you grow and it will help us grow because I want to be able to have that team of managers so that we can manage more properties, regenerate more lands and provide more opportunities for other people. 
There's definitely a need for that. And Louis, I just want to thank you so much for not only for coming on the podcast today, but just for being an amazing mentor in our program and and just sharing your wisdom and just opening up your entire business to training the next generation. I think I can speak on behalf of all young people by saying thank you. It's very hard to have to find those kinds of opportunities and people who will extend their patience and, and generosity to the next generation. So really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed working with you and Quivera and the NAP programs. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to connect to the broader Kivirik community of ranchers, farmers, conservation and government agency professionals, educators, nature nerds, curious consumers, and more, we're excited to have you. Our website is kivericcoalition.org, and in the upper right, click on Get E-News to sign up for our newsletter, where we share happenings and events, learning opportunities, job postings, and more. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review and a rating. It really will help other people find us and maybe even find their next step in regenerative agriculture. Thanks so much and see you next time. Thank you for listening to Regeneration Rising, a podcast production of the Kavira Coalition. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other popular podcast platforms. Become a Patreon supporter by visiting kaviracoalition.org slash podcasts. We'd like to thank Kavira staff for their contributions to this podcast. This episode was edited and engineered by Caleb Wenzel Fisher. Wanderlust, our theme music, was made by Scott Buckley. And we're grateful for our guests taking the time to talk with us about their experiences. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the land. Mm-hmm.